Black Matter podcast. You know it's the Black podcast. You know the bag of shit already going around in the first 10 seconds of the All right, so this is um, my emerging podcast called Black Matter. And as I told y'all, like, mainly the point of the show is really just, like, facilitate and have dialogue about, like, dope facets of Blackness and looking at kind of the simultaneity of Blackness and queerness. And I think so throughout this podcast, it's really important to me to be having these conversations like what we're about to have um, with men who are Black. But black in all different flavors, mm-hmm. as we've as we've already established from the three texts that we watched. So I guess Kameen, you can just um, take us back into that space. Maybe finish the last paragraph of my sister Madison Moore's book, Fabulous. Right. Ready? Oh yeah, fire to my apple. Let me not be Raja. You just like <laughs> you just told us not to be Raja. <laughs> all right. So Prince was more than a musical genius. I discovered him at a time I was playing a starring role in the feature film Closeted Black Teenager. And I remember thinking back then that he was so weird, so strange, but fascinating, unlockable, artistic, fabulous, a no-no. Music superstars have a way of living on through album releases, costume parties, and biopics. And Prince will certainly live on at purple dance parties all around the world. But his legacy will also continue on every queer person of color who discovers him for the first time, who sees him in a, a, who sees in him a style of inspiration, a plan B to replace the dominant script. His legacy will always be musical, but his unique sense of style will also help generations of queer people of color to learn to love their difference. And will listen. And when I listen to all my favorite Prince tunes. Or every time his music comes on at a party, I will whisper, thank you. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for helping me accept my identity as a black gay faggot. Diamonds, pearls, and all. Cool. So um, anyone can just start, like, from the text that we watched so far, we reviewed. What are y'all feeling? What are some of your takeaways? Um, and say your name before you talk. Damien. Cool. What's up, Damien? Beloved. So... Uh, the last film segment, it just appeared to me that from my interpretation of it, it will be a person, imagine if you could be in your own community and just be who you were free around people and just be, mm-hmm. if that was just you and that's what you like to do and just be free. Almost like this person was stripping off all of the things that everyone else expects you to be, assumes you should be, and this is who I be. So you're talking about Flying Lotus? Yes. Okay. So almost like with Flying Lotus, it was almost like this person is... You expect me to be this homeboy thug. You expect me to be baby boy from the movie. You expect me to be boys from the hood, but nope, I'm just this. And I'm free and I'm dancing and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And take me as I am. And I'm, I, want, I want to say, and the thing that stood out to me... And was, what's your name, sir? Oh, my name is um, Kameen. Uh-huh. So what stood out to me was the fact that um, the, the video started off with him being dead on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, that stood out. And so the, and then I like the fact that they rewinded it to, to, it was like in kind of like rewind mode. Cause he, to me, he resurrected himself from death, really. It was like a physical representation of him resurrecting himself from death and then being free to be himself and then going and like reversing all of that, that just how it started, which was like the result of, um, conforming to all of this is mm-hmm. is pretty much death, a death of some kind. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting that um, that he was dead at first, and then he got up off the ground, and he looked like he was dead from a a bullet wound. Yes, my name is Anthony. Hey, mm-hmm. hey. Uh, I go by Tony. Hey, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we already knew that. Mm-hmm. Well, the people, the people that's listening do not know. The black people know that. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. But anyway, back to Floating Lotus, Flying Lotus mm-hmm. um, short film, I would describe it as. Mm-hmm. It did start off with um, gunshots. Mm-hmm. And it brought out the fact that we are still being haunted and tra- mm-hmm. traumatized by black boys 
being killed. Yes. And there was a scene where it showed black boys running across the field. That's black mm-hmm. boy joy. Yeah, exactly. And so that was beautiful. The too. gunshots is a reflection of the innocence being ripped from us. Amen. Yeah. And then um, him waking up from the gunshot mm-hmm. is the is the trauma and everything that he experienced. And the way he's moving, mm-hmm. he's hurt. He's in pain. He's mm-hmm. trying to get past everything. But him having that hurt is influencing everybody else as well, the community. That's why you saw so many different black men in that neighborhood that were watching and he was intimidating them, like feeling that pain that he was going through as well. Yeah. One of the things I, I think you um, encouraged me to, to throw on a table about Flying Lotus, so Flying Lotus is a short film that we just watched as part of this uh, segment, is that um, as Madison says in his book, um, as black people were pushed to the margins of society, and by being pushed to the margins of a white society, we have to create our own definitions of like what fabulous means, what beauty means. And I think in that film, The Flying Lotus, it really was redefining the mainstream definitions of beauty because think about where they were when they were the little boys running. It was a low, quote unquote, low income housing, but the sunset was so beautiful. The lighting, the, their skin tone, like you really saw this like um, new, this black definition of beauty through the film. And for me, I think as someone that didn't grow up in those neighborhoods and was conditioned in a certain way, it's like, that's the hood, right? You don't think that like there's beauty, there's black boy joy that comes from the hood. And so I think, I'm not the filmmaker, but I think in that movie, there was something intentional about, like, you're going to see this, like, raw, real beauty that is blackness mm-hmm. um, that we don't see in mainstream um, media representations. There was, I didn't, I mean, there was a little, there's a little bit of that, but not, think about, like, that compared to right. the Gillette commercial, right? Yeah, right? Like, totally different definitions of beauty standards. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my name is Deshaun. Hey, Deshaun. Um... And to get to that video, it resonated deeply with me because, like, I have this uh, vision of creating, like, content in that way, mm-hmm. um, telling a story through my movement and mm-hmm. dance. Um, and it really, what made me uh, really excited about it was that it gave me almost like a, a very, like, narrow, narrow vision on um, what I would like to, um, what I would like to tell. Um and basically, I said I wrote down using movement and dance to reflect the the, the variety and a and a diaspora of being African in America. Mm-hmm. So telling stories through movement, music, and subliminal messaging to to uncover our realities as as Black males. Um, and our realities is completely different, just like our realities in this room is completely different. There's only six Black males, so imagine mm-hmm. three million. You know, how could we? It could even be like. A series, it can, you know, like mm-hmm. we can go for years mm-hmm. uncovering, you mm-hmm. know, the varieties, the varieties, and the realities. And I think um, there's so much to say to that because we're definitely pushed into this. Um, if you're this, then you have to be like this, and you have to be like this, and you have to be like this. So I think it's beautiful, and it really inspired me, and it almost like really gave me a, a even more clearer vision. And I really respect. You know, flying monkey. Well, flying oh, lotus. I'm flying lotus. lotus. I'm sorry. You don't get the film name, right? Oh, you got a whole, gosh. He has a whole journal. You didn't write down the name oh, of the film? Gosh. No, I don't. Oh, gosh. Anyway, it's okay. Forgive me for the producers of flying lotus. <laughs> um, but I, I really respect mm-hmm. what they do, and I really love how, you know, they put all those elements in there. Like oh, you said, mm-hmm. like they show blackness mm-hmm. in its rich sense, mm-hmm. even in the, the raw communities. I'm from East Harlem, so like you see. Mm-hmm. You, you see blackness almost, you can say, at its worst, you know what I'm saying? Crackheads begging and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. this is the, just the reality that I've been raised in. So mm-hmm. um, to see beauty in that is, is a beautiful, to show beauty in that is mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. So would you say that Flying Lotus is a queer film? It's, I would say, Damien, I would say it's an experimental film. I would say it's more like to, to queer. And if you, and also, you know what could work with that? If you take queer from it, then that's what you take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why yes. experimental yeah. film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's definitely, um, um, experimental avant-garde. Yeah. It, like, I, I like the rawness in it. That's mm-hmm. one thing I wrote down. That, that one word mm-hmm. was raw. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that part of it. But, um, as far as it being, um, queer, 
I get how it could, it, the correlation could be there mm-hmm. by um, it being outside of the the norm or mm-hmm. outside of the mainstream culture and reimagining reimagining what we think beauty to be. But I, but I don't know if that would make it queer though. Okay, I think it would definitely give it that same element as queerness. Yes, I mean you a basic definition mm-hmm. of queerness, if we're, if we're not adding sexuality, right. is about you know reimagining. Rethinking, kind of like reclaiming a space. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are standards and there are rules, there are gender binaries that have already been set up in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're supposed to follow those. And as black people, I think inherently we do not follow those. Whether you are a black man that wears a dress, or whether you're a black man that makes film in a white industry, like you're kind of querying that space when you bring in these like new ways of seeing mm-hmm. beauty and seeing black boy joy and those things. I almost didn't even, and it's funny, I didn't even think of queer when I saw it at first I just thought the word was just beauty when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Only yeah. just what queer. I, I don't even think I just thought beauty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 to not and talk about the um the connection the flyness to to the other one. Okay. One we're talking about all now random acts of flyness and Yeah, so, so give us a little bit of a um for our listeners a little intro of like mm-hmm. so we watched Random Acts of Flyness episode one, the black sex show clip of it, mm-hmm. um Flying Lotus which we've already talked about. And then we read an excerpt from um, Fabulous by Madison Moore. And then we watched the new Gillette commercial. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's let's move on to um, Random Acts of Flyness. And tell me about some of the things that you wrote and some of the, the, the takeaways that you got. And then we're going to go to our questions. That was with the guy who um, came with the, who showed up with the dress. Yes. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that he that they use they them pronouns, which is a whole other podcast episode. But I don't think that they identified as with he pronouns. Okay. They said that as the the, the male. I'm yeah. just I just want to identify him as being the one who was being interviewed. Yes. Okay. Oh, he doesn't. Not gender binary. They yeah. So that but male is just your sex. Like male is there's one gender. Your gender is just different. Like if you're a male, that means it's biological. Like, you know what I mean? Is that what you're saying? Or I'm saying that his pronouns, that, uh-huh. see, I just did it. Their chosen pronouns were they, them. I never understood that. I don't, that That's a different episode. We can unpack that oh, in a second. Yeah. But it's let's, an interesting thing. Yeah, let's unpack the, the, the episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. But for the sake yeah. of um, respecting that person's title, mm. they use they were gender not conforming. They said that at the beginning. So that would mean... Okay, you done. <laughs> This is a black show. It's okay. We're going to have those kinds of moments. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the white folks are like, of course. <laughs> Ratchet noise in the background. Okay. <laughs> I always click and... It's okay. Yeah, click and record. Um, thank you for turning on the heat because that, that sound is cool. Yeah. But they, them pronoun. Just okay. call the person they. Okay. Yeah. I got to get used to that. It's well, okay. Thank you. Um, Unpack the show, though. That's the uh-huh, Yeah. Um, that was challenging for me. What was? I realized, I don't know why, like, I felt like, um, when in my raw state, like, I was like, I was so down, like, at first, I was, I'm just being honest, uh-huh. like, raw. Yeah. Like, it was cool, like, I was like, I get it, like, I can identify with that, like, okay, he's cool, he's, you know, he wants to, um, have freedom with, um, um, having, um, availability to both sexes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what what was interesting to me is that I found myself being in a state of judgment when he showed up in a dress, <laughs> like, <laughs> which was interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not like not a judgment, like, like you know what I mean? Like, okay, I felt, I felt like okay, if if you're if I'm okay with you being you, but in a society where things are so conformative in a certain way, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? If you're interested in someone, wouldn't you want to like communicate to them? What your approach to life is before you meet up with them, and you know what I mean. If maybe not, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it because mm-hmm. my end goal is I want I want I want you. I'm interested in you. I want to yeah. get you. So mm-hmm. I want to do what I need to do to get you. But that kind of connects me to something that one of you said earlier when we all first met. And sorry if I'm spilling too much tea. You can answer or not. But someone in the room did say that like when I meet a partner, I like to be give them everything, like show them exactly who I am, because if they don't run, then that means that they're here to say what I think we were in your room, Deshaun. Yeah, that, I think that was Dwayne. Dwayne may have said that, but oh, this okay. kind of notion around like when I first start dating someone, I'm 100% authentic. I'm me. Here's all my baggage. Here's all my, I wear dresses, whatever. And maybe I'll turn it down, tune it down as we 
as we date. But I think what that person was doing was like, yo, this is who I am. And you have certain, like your art, he said her art was shitty. Uh, right. So like the thing is, is like, I think that they were just, um, being authentic to themselves and trying to keep that kind of let that partner know. And I think that the judgment piece is something we can unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel the same way that you felt about it. I felt that it seemed just from their aesthetic that that was who they were. And so, yeah, I saw that too. I, yeah. But I just also thought I was just thinking from this perspective of like, if you want to, your objective is to, um, be with this person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, this, but if your objective is to be with someone, does that mean that you need to follow the rules that that person has been conditioned? Cause like no. the, the rule of like men can't wear dresses is not actually that date, the date that he was on. It's not actually that woman's rule. She's just been conditioned to. Exactly. Wow. But I don't disagree with him wearing dresses. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I just think that they showing up in a dress, homie, you trying to, but, yeah, but, like, go ahead. But, but for, for all fairness, if, if I disagree, can I could disagree if I want to disagree. Mm. That's what mm. I feel. What I feel. What I felt about that is so I don't even know if it's like a disagree thing. Um, in regards to what you said to someone, even somebody that all oh, sometimes, some sometimes you don't have to do that to give the all. Sometimes I don't need your all right now, mm-hmm. you know, to still like. Let's do the larger issue though. Like, what's it, wrong with that person no, it, wearing it, what they want to wear? No, but I was gonna almost say so. I just want to add to this. It mm-hmm. kind of works. So that's almost like on that first date that if we you go. So what if I um whatever like I eat bats raw bats? Well, now you I may, may not for that date. Maybe right. it's not. But is eating bats a part of your like well, gender identity? I, I think mean, it's it may yeah. have been what's what what if that may be something yeah. that that may be culturally whatever you could it, it still kind of ties into that so it may be that day we would do something that's more neutral that I wouldn't put that all on you that day. I okay, Dwayne, I have a question about Deshaun. Deshaun. wait, Deshaun, Deshaun. Deshaun. Why am I who's Dwayne? Dwayne, Dwayne was the other other Deshaun. Deshaun. We'll um, edit that out. So I find it interesting because when I saw the video, so I mean, not really to my surprise, but I didn't I didn't judge him. Then. I, I didn't try to spam over. Let it roll off your tongue. Them. You did. It's okay, I'm here. You did say he the other day. I mean, I, said he did. I didn't, I didn't open a podcast and say, hey, this is the perfect Chaz podcast. I'm going to make a mistake too, but I'm not going to let you make it. We're going to be sure So, yes, So, um, when, when I saw, when I saw them in a video, first of all, I really liked the beginning of, of the, of the video. Of course. It was really dope. Uh huh. Do you want to, do you want to, like, I think we should reenact that for the show. No, it's, okay. Episode one is actually. I didn't necessarily like immediately uh judge him, but them them oh gosh. Judge them. But I was surely funny thing, I was surely like I wonder if they would have felt the same way if she was open to them um about her art. Like mm-hmm. I wonder if they would have like just like yeah yeah baby your art is beautiful mm-hmm. you know that's a good point <laughs> once he once he got the and I think the I think the larger the larger takeaway from that scene that I think we kind of which we're kind of like brushing up against is that it's just revealing how much of like gender rules are 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 a mockery right like the fact that like. As men, we're not allowed to explore our gender identity. And if you explore your gender identity, that has something to do with your sexuality, which is why it was kind of funny when, when she was like, so what are you? He was like, well, I'm into you. Yeah, yeah. So like, why do we need to have this conversation about like defining my sexuality? Like, I'm here for you. I'm on a date with you. So clearly I'm into you. So it doesn't mean I'm bisexual or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've had many experiences with men where they've been like, as I told you, like, they want to be with me physically, but that doesn't mean that I, that that experience is defining their sexuality. So yeah. I think they were just making a mockery, especially the part where he was like, they were like, um, well, you have a, a, a earring between your teeth and I can't wear a dress. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? You know? Mm-hmm. So again, I think the, the lesson of that was kind of just to show that like a lot of these rules that we live by is just a bunch of bullshit yeah. and that you should be able to break them as you wish. <laughs> Would we in this room all wear dresses? Maybe not. But like that was that person's decision to break the rules. So whatever. That wasn't like what, like what I shared earlier wasn't like, um, like the key point that I wanted to get to. Good. It was just interesting. All right. The key point that I wanted to get to was, um, Take just, just within like, um, like myself growing up, because 
one of the questions that you asked in the beginning mm-hmm. um, was how have um, how has your life been shaped by by your gender identity? Mm-hmm. And I was just saying that someone who identifies as a black male or just identifying as an African male who happens to be raised in America mm-hmm. um, and being raised with women like that always. When, when it comes to my identity, mm-hmm. like, that's something that always, like, pops up in my head mm-hmm. because it's something that, like, played a, it, it shaped who I, who mm-hmm. I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like being under those circumstances, like, I viewed women differently. So, especially in my younger years, I approached women differently and I would be very nice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I would give them grapes and I would, and they not great. Great. Yo, they, they wouldn't see me. I always say great. But I like so mangoes. So. It's so true. It's so true. But I feel like not only was I friend zone, but like I was almost like um, like even the females. And I think that that's the point that I was getting into that like this, like even the females have to deconstruct their mind because I was really attempting to court these 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 young girls. Um, whoa, whoa. I was a young kid and they were young girls. Um, they didn't see that as something that they desired. They wanted a, a dude who might have been, you know, cursing at them or whatever the case may be. At such a young age, that's kind of the core of what I was getting at. How programmed we or at the age in which we get programmed is so very young. Mm-hmm. You know, we, like if you're if you're a black male, I didn't know that I was a black male until other people told me I was a black male. You know, what I'm saying? I, I mean, I didn't know I was gay until other people told me. I was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They started calling me bag. I was like, I'm just here to get haircut. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, but I was like, but you are cute though. <laughs> <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, sure so that is that is very interesting. That like um, how how young we're definitely programmed. To these ideals. And yeah, I think too early we're, we're exposed to make a good point. I mean, I was also raised by predominantly black women, didn't have any males in my life. So, like, who I am now, I've, I'm very comfortable with, but like, my gender identity, I can say, as a 30 year old man, was formed by being around black men, women. So, mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. how to be a black man, I learned that from being around black women. Yeah. Um, and that is why I think I didn't participate in some of the things that you talked about yesterday on like the cat calling and because mm-hmm. this is not what I was around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was around women where if I did behave in that way I would get slapped yeah. yeah I would get you'd be told that's not how you talk to a woman and then mm-hmm. as a matter of fact if you get it's not how you talk to a man either mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so I was again like you can you can sew a black identity a black male identity mm-hmm. and not be around um, black men because a lot of these gender rules are just constructs like yeah. The cat calling and stuff. I don't think men really want to do that. They were taught and conditioned that, like, to be a man, that's how you you get your women. Mm-hmm. We know that's mm-hmm. a bunch of BS. I I also see it as um um cultural um triggers. Mm-hmm. You know, see it as a cultural trigger, like um our identities. And how we, you know, it's always, everybody else around the world is usually shaped by um, your culture. But mm-hmm. in America, we have a very unique situation, which is called the melting pot, right? And we have everything. That's the that's what America was supposedly founded on, actually. But it wasn't really. It was actually just for white men and people, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it's now, it's, it's, the, it's like... What is American culture actually? You know what I mean? That's a whole nother topic as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so episodes dominant culture, um, um, subcultures and in, in the dominant culture. Um, and so that becomes confusing too. I realized too, just being in places where culture maybe was a little bit more, um, organized, like I get homogenized. That's mm-hmm. the word, mm-hmm. you know, but it's that affects how, um, gender, um, expression is as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I realize it's very different being in America and seeing how it expresses itself. Mm-hmm. So from watching these three films, I mm-hmm. kind of wrestled with like the simultaneity of, of blackness and mm-hmm. queerness, right? Madison's work, the, the two black films that we watched that really kind of playing around with space. Um, what is one facet of your blackness that you really see, rarely see represented well in the media? Go ahead. We haven't heard from a rockman. I know. Rockman, how you doing over there? Oh, good. Be quiet. Yeah. Right. You okay? <laughs> um, we're gonna edit that out too. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get you know academic supporters. Mm-hmm. 
for this mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> Sponsors. Sponsors. Okay, so we're going to edit that. Um, tell us, uh, any, anyone, but like, go ahead and answer that question. One facet of your blackness that you kind of like rarely see represented in the media. Um, I would say spaces I, like this. Yeah, right. I was about to say about us loving each other. Yeah, loving like, on each other. Pure black love. Like, Perfect. I never see that in movies. Like, how we really do. How we will fight for each other. Have you seen a Bill Street Can Talk? I, I, I love that movie. I love, it. love that movie. Yeah, that, that's black pure black love. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. even when you, yeah. Tony, when you talked about the, the two boys running in the project, mm-hmm. like that being a black boy joy scene, I, like, even though I didn't grow up in that neighborhood, I just felt that mm-hmm. in me of, like, I remember to just run and, and ride bikes mm-hmm. with boys that look like us. Yeah, boys I shot like an accident. That's my favorite director. I met him. I follow him. Nice. Who's that? Barry Jenkins. I follow he's him. Amazing. I shadow him. Also. Shout out to Barry. How I you doing, Barry? Where he's at. I go to every speaking engagement. I'm there. Hey, Barry, it's me. And I'm not always in the audience. And you always look at me like I'm stalking you. I'm not. I just... <laughs> And inspired by you. Barry, we want to make a film with you, but thank you. For That's that. it. Arachman, what do you think? The question. Yeah. Which is like a part of Arachman yeah. that is rarely represented in the media, part of your blackness. Um, what, do, what do you not see? Um, well, part of my blackness has now became me being a yoga teacher and a holistic healer. Very underrepresented in the yoga mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. I believe that because what we've been told as black men and also as black women that it's it's devilish, you know, it's evil, you know, it's witchcraft. To do yoga? To mm-hmm. do yoga. I didn't know that. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. I know. But why are these white folks out here doing yoga with yeah, yoga and beer? Yoga, bring your dog. Like, a billion dollar industry. Why do they keep adding to it? I'm like, how much is a black people yoga? Yoga. 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 Yeah. Yoga. Yoga. yoga? Baby don't yoga. Baby don't yoga. Llama yoga. Anyone else? <laughs> I would say, I mean, to take no. it, to take it real for a second, I would say like a, a part of my blackness that I rarely see represented in media is literally like these kind of relationships, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. boy joy mm-hmm. around like black straight men and black gay men loving each other, That's like everybody in between. Yeah, everybody yeah. in between, like just Hello. the, the <laughs> side, yeah. Actually, the black women like in Bill Street, like in Bill Street, when they first had um their encounter with sex yeah. mm-hmm. and he was like he just he let her do yeah, yeah. He to the side he, yeah. like, he took off his clothes mm-hmm. he made it a more ritualized situation and but that's instead of just do, ramming it in there yeah. you know, was yeah. like, he really took his time right. understood the situation that is not how my sure she was comfortable mm-hmm. I um that's true it's Deshaun speaking and to tag on to what Tony said I think so. I want some greats no no <laughs> Oh, you have a girlfriend, right? Yeah. I don't like grits. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I wrote, and to tag onto what Tony was saying, is like a humble black man, so like a patient, mm-hmm. a patient black man yes. um, who can stand in his masculinity mm-hmm. firmly um, mm-hmm. without this idea of being portrayed as angry or large mm-hmm. or ignorant or aggressive mm-hmm. or um, just a stereotypical black man, but yeah. just like a a patient black man who knows himself and knows his history and knows himself and not knows himself just says black power yeah yeah fuck all the- oh I'm sorry oh, I'm sorry I didn't say you kind of cast okay but like very like you know um aggressive and opinionated but like if you know yourself and just humble and just very like I don't need to argue with you because I know myself and I'm clear mm-hmm. and like what, whatever relation he's carrying whether he's heterosexual anywhere in between um like he he's aware of the dynamic that he's entering in and he's he knows how to carry himself in it so um, is that a facet of your blackness that you don't see represented well in the media yeah. being humble yeah so you're, uh-huh. you're identifying with like humble I, w- I would say so so it's just someone like y'all mentioned like having spaces where um there is people across all spectrums of yeah, sexuality, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, black men come together like that. I yeah. think heterosexual males, because I identify as heterosexual, need to essentially, like, humble themselves and know themselves a little bit more to realize that, like, you're not that different from someone who, who's queer. Or you gay. know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're really not that different. We're black first. You're, we're black first. Oh, and, man. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's the episode yeah. title. We just got it. Thank you. It's called Black First. Black First. Yeah. And ATL. I think that that is just something that, yeah. Humble black men. Nice. Um, and and open minded. You know, just like, 
a lot of us are walking around with these angry biases, like, no, I ain't, I ain't, I, I would never, I would never hug you, I would never do, I would never, you know what I'm saying? Like, but why? Beloved, what you got over there? So, uh, what I would say is, and it's almost tagging into um, the love and the self-love mm-hmm. in the group, what I don't see and it's not represented is how we also care for our vessel and our bodies mm-hmm. and how we love ourselves. So I'll post things. So, um, like I post all day about healthy stuff and food and I really mean it in my heart. I'll get sometimes some of us will say, why are you doing that now? Uh, be clear. Right. What do you mean by some of us? Uh, niggas? Some of us. <laughs> no, they'll they'll on your shit. Right. Like, why are you being healthy? Right. And, and instead of saying, you know, and then you get the, you get the positive ones, but the ones, you know, so you have to answer them accordingly. It'll be like, you know, because, you know, so that's unrepresented. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the times you only see white men on, you know, the, the title shows of the shows or they have right. like million dollar selling books. But a lot of black men, you know, um, are in the health. So that's hugely unrepresented that yeah. when a black man does, they're like, why you, uh, the question may be, why you do that now? Why you do that? Or why you, do you know, that? cause as, as black people, we're the only, I read this in a book called, um, when thousand strings of black cool, um, mm-hmm. edited by Rebecca Walker, dope, dope book. Um, but one of the things I read in that book that I thought was fascinating is that this guy who identifies as a black geek, he was saying that black people are the only race that police what we can and cannot do. Yeah. So like, we are the only race that says black people don't swim. Yeah. Black people don't, yeah. don't, uh, go skiing. Like, when I went to Japan and I was, I black speak nearly fluent. Yeah. Black people don't meditate. When I, I speak nearly fluent Japanese, I'd be on the train and if I met, they'd be like, black people don't speak Japanese and my family still is like, <laughs> I'm like, why are we, why do we do that? We're always, that was, it took me, I didn't learn to swim until I was 18 because I lived in a household where I was just like, we don't swim. And I was like, but what happens if I need to learn how to swim? You know? <laughs> what if I get in the water? Exactly. So yeah, we're the only. I think we're the only people that do that. Well, even the stereotypes about the things that we that we do, do like dance. Not every tall black person knows how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to have rhythm, though. I just have to throw that. In. You, we we are yeah. innately in rhythm. <laughs> you might not know how to dance, yeah. but you have rhythm. Well, yeah, you I will some. No, I've that seen some the rhythm people of color without rhythm. I've seen some people color mm-hmm. without rhythm. So we have to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> they need to come home. They need to come to coming. They need to come to the the retreat. And, and they need to go back to the motherland because that is within us. You see those yeah. babies out there yeah. and a beat comes on and them babies now. Go work on your hips. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> poor thing. Oh, please tell me. What do we say to them? What do we say to them? Tell me about some of y'all stories uh, from the first question. So, how has your life been shaped by your gender? Go ahead, Tony. Look, you percolating over there. Got a little something. Got a little something. You can just tell, t- take us there. Like you don't have to give us so much context. Tell us a story, or you know, whatever. I was prepared for a story. That's okay. okay. Improv. Improv is great. Improv is great. Yeah. Always feeling you have to. You have to be one of the boys. Uh, mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. something that you have dealt with as a child. You know. Having female friends as a child and having male friends as a child, how to navigate between that mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling, if you're having fun with Barbie dolls, why does that make you less of a man? Feel less of a man yeah. doing that. And if your parents are questioning you, mm-hmm. but you brought me around these girls to Amen. That's true. play with them. So what are you expecting us to play with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, just navigating to that space mm-hmm. and, and growing up, you felt like you had to present a certain masculinity mm-hmm. and uh, a stereotype and moving through mm-hmm. the world with that expectation. Mm-hmm. And then um, growing up after, you know, meeting different people, knowing that there's different spectrums on how to be a black man. It's just not just one way. Anyone else? So, the, uh, again, the first question was, um, how's your gender how is your life been shaped by your gender identity? I think it definitely, I think definitely be the wild. It was empowering being raised around a lot of strong black women, mm-hmm. um, not having any male representation around definitely gave me insecurities. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and so those insecurities, I remember well into my teenage years 
feeling very uncomfortable around men because I didn't know how to be. Yeah. I like I didn't have enough experience. I didn't have, I didn't have, have enough clockable hours. Not clockable hours. Yeah, I'm not sure I got my hours in, and so that's how I, I went to the first gate club. Would I be as bad? Not having enough hours to just be comfortable there. Right. All right. But I feel like um, um, even being um, that insecurity, and so and and but that insecurity shaping me in my life, taking it as a, I took a positive spin on it, and um, was able to figure myself out using that insecurity, and it it being a journey of empowerment instead of like you know um, I'm gonna be insecure forever. But it did give me insecurity. My name is Arakwan. Um growing up it was like for me it was like, oh, you know, you're a you're a boy, boys don't do that. You know. Um I remember I used to my my sister had like a doll, I used to braid the hair of the doll. So what? Um I used to take um I had like this Superman cape thing I remember having. I think it was Batman, I don't remember, but um I had it. I used to like for some reason I used to tie it around my waist as if like it was a skirt. I used to just like rotate in circles. <laughs> when um, you know, just stuff like that growing up and whatnot. Um feeling also not playing with the other kids. I used to isolate myself a lot because I knew like I had a inkling that I might have been like, you know, you know, maybe gay or, you know, like, you know, I just felt weird, you know. Felt I mean? different. Felt different, yeah. And I felt like I wasn't like everybody else, you know what I mean? And I still do sometimes, you know. Um, being in a predominantly black male space, such as, like, whether it's, like, sometimes, you know, like, you know, when I'll get my hair cut, when I used to have, when I used to get my hair cut long ago, a couple, like, maybe, like, five, six years ago, I used to feel weird because they would say homophobic stuff. But you gotta get a haircut. Man. And I, yeah, I do. And I'm, and, they will, and this is what happened while I'm in the, the type of, um, you know, in the, the barber chair and whatnot. And it was just weird for me because it's like, okay, I'm in this space. I can't say anything. What if they find out? I know that guy over there. He has anger issues. I've seen it already. You know what I mean? Like, what if I was come out like, oh, I'm, I'm gay or bisexual or whatever. And like, what would they say? What would they think of me? But then again, at the end of the day, I gotta remember that. I gotta be who I am, and these people that I'm meeting is only temporary. Mm-hmm. I can sit in a barber chair or be in a black space, like a black, um, predominantly straight space. Yeah. You know, for this amount of time, cause I know I gotta leave anyway, so like they don't know me outside of here, so I'm okay. I think physical space has so much to do with it, cause mm-hmm. there's, there's so much about being a black queer or a black male that's on the spectrum, where like you have to suppress who you are just to be in mm-hmm. spaces that are for us. Yeah. Right? So, I would never go to a white barbershop. So in order to go to the black barbershop, which is a space that is for me because mm-hmm. I'm a black man, mm-hmm. I have to somehow suppress a part of exactly. my black male identity. So it's it's really triggering. It's very complicated. It's definitely something that we need to have more conversation about because blackness and queerness and black men being on the spectrum, I'm not talking about anything that's new. The work that I'm doing even as a scholar is not new because all of y'all are giving examples of spinning around in the, in the skirt whatever you did playing with the Barbie brain and Barbie's hair, like those things have are there they already exist. People are just talking about them more, but like it's just there are literally one thousand ways to be black. And, and more what, than that. And what I got from it was is what what became to me it was a young guy in the neighborhood um whose mom got with a guy and the guy was homophobic mm-hmm. and he used to so the mom had additional kids by this guy and the one young guy on in this neighborhood would come over to our house, into the family house, and sit there all the time. We'd always be like, you still here? He said, oh. So my granny would say to him, why you didn't go have dinner yet? And then I want to get to my story. So, but, so this is the beginning. You know, I just have to give you this part. <laughs> so granny would say, why didn't you go have dinner yet? And the young boy would say, because my stepdad said that um, a faggot can't eat with his kids. <laughs> to the new kid. So where I'm giving you my identity was and what it means to be a black man. I became and I know now that I have like this. I'm supposed to give lessons or something. I don't know what my purpose is in life, but I became the token guy who didn't identify as a gay guy, but never hit it. I became this person that all the other little boys who got beat 
who got called faggots came to because they was like, how did you, how do everybody like you, these guys like you? Now I realize that it was because my mother was so stern and what these new boys are missing is, is my mother always told me no matter what you are, you don't play. Meaning you don't play, you don't accept that. So mm. what I realize what is missing in a lot of these boys, why these boys are getting beaten fag is if they see the the shame in your household, if they see your mama treating you better, then that's how the community is gonna treat you. In my household, um, God bless the dead, she was like this and one of they they kinda knew and whatnot. Don't fuck with her son, whatever <laughs> you think he is. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck with her son. So mm-hmm. I know now, like, why all of these people are around me. So even friends now, even adult guys was like, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, all of the guys like you, even the straight guys or whatever. And and you're not putting on the act. That's who you really are. It's because I had that lessons from mom. And I write that in all my posts, lessons from mom, you know, that um, you have to have. And it's, so it's not a front. You have to have it, and that's what you are mm-hmm. first, and don't stand for it. So the guys saw it, the community yes. knew it, and I became, so for me, with being um, a male is with the black men, I almost, we are responsible to give lessons to each other once we get the lessons. So but I think that's a lesson on, I would rename that a lesson on healthy masculinity mm-hmm. for mama. Thank because you. I feel mm-hmm. like... Like there's parts of masculinity that are healthy and are very useful. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do agree as well is like is that um, people who have I people who I see mm-hmm. who um, move along the spectrum because I had strong black women as well. Whereas while I was insecure, the reason why I was able to transform it into something is because that aspect was there. It's like it's like I say being you before. Well, I don't care if you Jewish, Christian, gay. Um, whatever you want to name yourself, you are black first, mm-hmm. right? And so they taught they taught me that that was the principle that they understood about masculinity mm-hmm. that they can tell me is that no matter what you are, you're a man. Like you know what I'm saying? Like and there's like you're a man, and there's like you're a male, right? You're a male, um, and as a male, you you have the power to tap into something. Whether you want to or not, you understand what I'm saying, that you have a power to tap into something that is very useful to you and will be useful useful to you moving through a world where people may perceive you as a male. Like, well, no matter how you identify, that's different from how people perceive you. That's not, has, that has nothing to do with you and how, how everybody else has been judged. So that tool, which I feel is useful for men to have, right, is that, that, that thing where it's like, okay, you can go around anybody um, regardless of what their, you know, their gender expression is or their sexuality and be okay because eventually that's a certain confidence. Mm-hmm. It's a confidence. That's what it is. And it's, 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 it's a part of masculinity too. Why I say it's part of masculinity, a part of healthy masculinity is because it's a, it's a confidence in yourself. It's rooted in yourself that like, no matter what, like, you're, I'm not. You're not disrespecting me. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to argue. It's not even. A, I'm not even going to argue or discuss anything with you about it. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Is that it's an energy, a useful energy that you know. And, 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 and I realize if so now when I see other guys and I see these kids, the a lot of the newer generation suicide and mm-hmm. whatever. The mom that I had now that so 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 many things since her death mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about little things that I used to see her do. The parents sometimes know who you may become or who you are. Mm. She probably prepared certain things like, I know what you're going to be, mm. but I know one thing. I'm not going to have you beat and hurt. Or mm. hurt by other people. I know exactly. that. Yeah. So even if she didn't say that to me, yes. remember, because she, and she didn't even stop. So I even remember, like you said, braiding earlier and whatnot. With the family-owned beauty parlors, like all our lives, some of the oh, top nice. beauty parlors, big mm. beauty parlors. So you were I in those I grew up in those, so I learned lessons yeah. in there and around a lot of women. And my mom never, and now that I look back at it, she is the reason why I'm probably so, because she, mm. and she kept me away from my dad. My mom would be like, they like how you wash hair and braid, go do it. And it never <laughs> affected her mm-hmm. to worry about her son doing that. She would always... So she should be allowed to explore those things. She would always allow that. And it had nothing to do because she wanted to be, to say, I'm a, I know you're going to be good. She just allowed me to, to explore, explore it. Because she said, no matter what, I'm, I'm, I'm raising you for tough. And she was like, if there's some men who are heterosexual, who let we don't have that. It doesn't matter your sexuality. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Definitely. There are some men that are like 
taught to not be emotional, mm-hmm. not cry. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. a lot of times when men are hurting, they will exalt, like exercise it in these very self-harming ways, like gambling, cheating, drugs. Yeah, mm-hmm. You talk a lot, Kameem, about um, mm-hmm. in your anecdote around healthy masculinity, kind of making that distinction. So like y'all saw the Gillette commercial, yes. right? We did yes. see that. Um what do we think about that in the sense of like it, I think it was making this if it's doing anything right it is this mainstream way of making the distinction between the Me Too movement and all these things that are happening that's emer- that's emerging in our society is not to attack masculinity it is to attack toxic masculinity. toxic masculinity and I think a lot of people have especially heterosexual men sometimes mm-hmm. have this difficult this um you know issue with making that distinction whereas me as a black male I, who uses male pronouns i was bullied a lot by mainly heterosexual black men mm-hmm. he's a faggot he looked like he got eye makeup on it's like i am gay but i don't have eye makeup on my eyelashes are just long like now you come from my eyelashes he he got pretty hair so he must be gay like all these kind of things that kept happening it's like that is toxic masculinity so when all this stuff happened with like me too i in my mind can immediately make the distinction because I know the kind of man that I am, and I know the kind of men that did not accept the man that I was. And so that came from a toxic space. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of these um, mm-hmm. this, these mainstream examples are trying to make that distinction. Exactly. Um, what did y'all take away from the commercial? I've seen that commercial before. Okay. And so the second time watching it, I noticed how at the end when they were showing the way that we're supposed to uh, act, as a masculine man, and it showed the black the black men uh-huh. teaching their younger generation, or black men in the same space as their peers, yeah. teaching like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And these were real life examples. They were, and they were like showing clips from mm, like social that. media, and those were real life examples. Oh, you when mean they were like had, real time examples? When they yeah, real to, time, real yeah. time, real time. Yeah. And so when they were doing the acted out version, mm-hmm. it was more on the white space. Those things happen. Explain, explain. So, like, take us there. Come on now, you like <laughs> open it up. So it's basically showing that as black men, we already doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, in our community, in our yeah. Community, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. You know, the white men. It's y'all. Talk. It's y'all. It's always y'all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But right. it's true. They have a lot of work to do. They have a lot y'all of do have a lot of work to do. We sponsor this podcast. Well, well, right. We're already <laughs> doing our work. We're already learning and doing things like coming to retreats yeah. and. And a black man getting together to to show unity and mm. show how you're not supposed to act towards men and, and your brothers. Mm. We're already working towards mm. that, but now in white spaces, mm-hmm. it's more a, super, a superiority yes. factor with femininity. They trying to take away the femi- mm-hmm. uh, feminist movement. They trying to take away everything that they worked so hard for because they think they're getting washed away. Who's trying to take it away? White men. Well, I think it also is tied to like white fragility. White people see anything that doesn't center white people, and they're fragile. Like they're trying to, they're trying to take away our jobs. It's like no, you will always have a job. We're we're trying to create jobs for ourselves. For ourselves, yeah. ourselves. Exactly. We ain't got nothing to do with it. Because whiteness is is uh, the white. As James Baldwin says, like whiteness is a, it's not an identity. It's not an ethnicity. Like it's not a culture. It's just built on the oppression of other people. And so there's no such thing really as the white man, right? The white mm-hmm. man is is Polish or is from Ireland. He's from somewhere, but they they're not benefit of that energy. Yeah, they don't tap into it. So their their whole identity only exists at the oppression of other people. Right. So when they see a film or they see a retreat that is for all black men, that fragility clicks in That's because their right. whole being is right. built right. on a fragile foundation. Right. The whole thing, ours is not. Mm-hmm. So when we have a black male retreat, I, we're not even worried about what the Japanese male retreat is doing. We right. don't even we don't give a shit. Right. This is for us. Right. And I'm going to get what I need to get right. from right. Kameen right. for this retreat. But right. if this is a white man retreat and they found out that we're up the street doing this, their immediate thing is like, well, what are they doing? Right. Well, why they got yeah, well, right. you know, because it's built on fragility. We're not built on fragility. We have to we have to remember that. So Gillette commercial. Sorry for that for that. Like the we're we're speaking of so much and so many thoughts are running through my head and it's just like it's like phew, my head is just like I'm I'm attempt I'm gonna attempt to get You want some grapes? Whoa <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to attempt to get what what it is just I Just let it out, yeah. Yeah. Um In thirty seconds, right? In thirty seconds. <laughs> we ain't got all day, okay. Um Gillette commercial. Okay, uh taking accountability, that's surely one thing that I learned. Um, I got from there, but also one of the things that you spoke about, about heterosexual men and toxic masculinity, I think there's like this 
subconscious um, or just this subliminal way that we're told to treat people who are um, who identify as gay or queer um, would taught to treat them as outsiders. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? And and we might not be directly taught, but indirectly. Our, it might be indirectly. We might hear our uncle say, oh, that, that faggot, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And just basically belittle them and um, like treat them as such. And I think that that's just a terrible way of going about it. But what I find interesting, and I think that like um, creating more spaces where there is a mix of, of men of all spectrum mm-hmm. is because I think that a lot of men um, like myself will will um, resonate with a lot of what everyone was saying. Like some of the things I picked up was like growing up and just feeling different. You know what I'm saying? Like feeling different um, and how our external environment shapes us. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, you didn't know you was gay until people told you that, you know, people kept on saying these things. You was just a being. We just popped up in this fucking world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like walking down the street, <laughs> leaving the park. Faggot. Climb from the park. <laughs> like what? The park. It's like what? Um, or even like one of the reasons why I'm, I'm even on this street because I resonate with what Prince said was that like, um, there was this insecurity of being raised, being raised a woman and, and not, like, I didn't have a creation of that comfortable relationship with men. You know what I'm saying? Like, in my life, there was never, like, um, I mean, my, there was a step pops, my, um, my mom's boyfriend was there and he, like, really instilled some principles in me that, like, really helped me out. But in the grand scheme of things, like, I wasn't, I didn't have no brothers. Mm-hmm. So, like, my sisters would have friends over. And I didn't want to be alone, so I would go want to hang around with my sister's friends. My sister would be like, no, you're a boy. You're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to be with the girls. I'm like, what? Like, like who, people. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, who, who am I supposed to talk to? Y'all you black? Yeah. Like, who am I supposed to talk to? Yeah. Y'all my sisters. Why can't I be around y'all? Or whatever yeah. the case may be. Like, I used to literally share rooms with both my sisters. And, like, they would kick me out when they had company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It was like, oh, why you want to be with the, why you want to be with the girls? You gay? You know, all that, gets like, in, all that gets internalized. All of that gets internalized and so it, much. It creates trauma. And it creates trauma and it creates confusion. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and then, like, um, one of the things that Camille was saying was that, like, finding that confidence. And one of the things that I wrote, um, was that, um, yeah, uh, being raised as a male, um, this goes back to the first question of um, how does being... How is your gender? How is your life been shaped by your gender identity? And then I said... Um, yeah, I was just saying, like, being raised in a house full of women, like, of course, I always knew I had a penis, but it was really my external environment when I was young that told me that I was a black male, that showed me that I was a black male. I didn't know that I was a black male until other people told me, and I said the questions of who I am began there. And um, Mm -hmm. I think one of the things is to tie it all together is that like when we get to this space of like finding that confidence and and comfort within ourselves, then we can like, then we can, you know, take accountability for our black males when we see other people, you know, um, mistreating other people. We see, you know, like then we can step into our healthy masculinity Mm -hmm. when we, um, when we do the inner work, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I feel like this is like a, a vulnerable space for me. Cause I don't typically get to have these conversations with like heterosexual identifying black men and, and sharing our experiences. And I'm learning more about like, I'm not saying that you were a bully, but I'm like yeah. learning about how some of the men that I have constantly failed to connect with may have thought and like what their process was. And that was kind of why I shared, um, Madison's story about Prince because mm-hmm. Just think about the way that like we live in the world is like I think I'm beautiful. I don't mm-hmm. as a kid I just see myself as a kid. Mm-hmm. How he was talking about when he walks down the street and people call him Prince and he's like, How could that mean something bad? Like mm-hmm. Prince like, is amazing. Yeah, Prince mm-hmm. is amazing. So it's it's all about that kind of like mm-hmm. that's why it would hurt so bad because it's like things that I saw as beautiful, things that I looked in the mirror and liked about myself mm-hmm. were the things that I was getting bullied for by black people. Mm-hmm. And so that that constant like negotiation that you have to do with like you're looking in the mirror you see that you look cute you mm-hmm. you enjoy a, a good print song and and dancing around the kitchen with the thing with the cape tied to you mm-hmm. but then someone else sees that as like this terrible thing exactly. and it's like but it's beautiful to me so like i thought madison's sentiment about like how could somebody see prince as 
like a, a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. It's so it just talks that really hits like how toxic we've allowed things to be defined. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, I'm I don't wanna go back to it, but I will. Um, <laughs> because I feel like um when I hear this it's very interesting to me, especially when that's why I had to have you clear the the question up earlier mm-hmm. with you the statement you made about mm-hmm. queerness and blackness being simultaneous, like um comparing, you know, saying they're the same. Um and so what I what I what that has brought me to over the course of this conversation is to understand that if that is the case, mm-hmm. if that is the case, then I feel like in the black community, right, in the black community, um the 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 um the black community deals with the traumas, the greater traumas of black people, like mm-hmm. um how what happened to us in slavery and so stuff like that. But what I don't experience in the queer community it, it's like we focus on a lot of our immediate, because those are the things that affect us immediately. So what I, what I would say is, is that um, um, I would like to be in more spaces where queer people are also willing to unpack, because I feel like unpack people racism? unpack ra- the traumas of mm-hmm. um, of the atrocities of, of racism and slavery. Queer people of color. Queer people. Yeah, I'm talking about black people. Me that's too. Yeah. When I said that I'm thing, like, that's yeah, what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not talking about anybody else. Make sure. Black not queer. Other, yeah. Yeah, black queer people. Yeah, yeah. Not not anybody else, right? Yeah. So um, taking on that as well. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it it would be something that would be helpful because um, right now it seems like it's separate. Like the black community focuses on these issues. Mm-hmm. The black queer community focuses on addressing these mm-hmm. issues. And it's not intersecting. It's, it's not intersecting borrow, at all. That you know what I mean? It's not really intersecting because the black queer community also needs to be discussing mm-hmm. how we can be, the water the traumas, mm-hmm. how can we be mm-hmm. healing from the traumas and being a part of that as well, as well as the um, the black heterosexual community mm-hmm. being a part of the queer yeah. Discussion, the, the discussions yes. that the yes. queer community. For me, it has to happen in both spaces because yes. I'm black and I'm exactly. queer. So I don't. I'm tired of living a life where, if say, there's two rooms, right? Talking about the queer, black queer traumas mm-hmm. and black and black traumas in general. Why do I have to make a, a choice of which sure. room I go into? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm tired of doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's why in the work that mm-hmm. I'm doing, I think you're right. You make a good point that like we should be having these conversations in the same room. Like, why are we so separate? Why are heterosexual men and Black queer men not having conversations about police brutality against black men exactly. in general. Because exactly. when the cop kills us, he's not he's not worried about your sexuality. He's not asking. I'm saying like, are you straight or queer or gay? <laughs> How do you identify? They're not doing that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So if anyone doesn't have anything else, in the last ten minutes, what I like to do, the way I kind of end all my shows, is I want you to kind of like really go deep, close your eyes, and think about um, what are your black boy dreams. So think about what you're doing now, who you are, and project that into a hundred, a thousand, a million years from today. And tell me, like, if Kameen was on this earth a thousand years from now, what is he not experiencing that, he had to, that he's had to undergo today? So what are your black boy dreams? What are your dreams for the black boys that's coming um, after you when you're here, maybe? So your grandkids or when you're long gone? Think about all the stuff we talked about today. And tell us what your black boy dreams are. And I think that Beloved has a has a story for us around um, something that has to do with my black boy dream. I would like to um, offer that. You shared that story yesterday, but that could be something we talked about. But take 10 seconds and just think about your black boy dreams. And don't time is also a racist construct. So don't put a time capsule on it. It could be you could just talk to us about your black boy dreams a million years from now. Even though you won't be here, there will be black men here. Mm-hmm. And so what are your dreams? I think it's very important that we think about that as black men mm. in collective space. Mm. And anyone can just take us there and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Hi, could I start? Go ahead. Um, I think... Be as weird as you want. I would see, yeah, I'm going to... I'm are gonna, you flying and shit? I'm going to speak up. <laughs> I think at the core of it, there's several principles. One is confidence in every black man mm-hmm. to be whatever the fuck they are um what, what like whatever that is um like that true sense of and it's not necessarily and this is where i go back to that humble black man because it's not necessarily a sense of entitlement or superiority even though our melanin allows us to be a little superior but i don't care about that i'm going to stay with that i mean hey we're sun kiss anyways okay um, so it's not it's not from that sense or but it's also not from a 
from a sense what we see it now from a sense of inferiority where we feel inferior and then we just like clashing down on each other and bullying each other so i think i'll see this this shift i think i'll see a lot of uh unity within within our brotherhood and um there will be a whole lot of confident men who are aware of what their role is who are aware of their purpose and no one is like we're not we're not here to try to step on the next person's foot like how could we grow this together? You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, um, so that's what I would see. I would see like us building like motherfucking like empires and pyramids mm-hmm. that go outside of the the, the earth. Um, I know that that's that's kind of weird, but it's real shit though. Like, like a pyramid, like that takes continents. You know what I'm saying? Like that takes the space of continents, and like every black male did that. And come on, Wakanda. We uh, that's we, Wakanda. Um, and for 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 the heterosexual black males, I would see this respect and honor. Um, for me, <laughs> for, <laughs> for the gay niggas, respect us, love us. For the divine, feminine. yeah. Speak up in the barbershop. Yeah, let's say yeah. For, the divine, for the divine feminine that shines through in every in way, every yeah, way, exactly. Yeah. For the divine feminine, so this respect and honor in in stepping into a, a pure sense of healthy masculinity mm-hmm. and respect and honor for the divine feminine that manifests in every way. Um, yeah, so that is my utopia. Yes, come on, someone else tell us about their black boy utopia. Wakanda <laughs> just manifesting I mean, Wakanda yeah, just really just de- developing a black community where everyone is unified and have their own space and, and building that black dollar and I'll um, just moving forward like that mine is um, where no one no one nobody's left out mm. no matter what like Everybody, we collect all everybody, and we'll do what we, we like. A black family is really we'll we'll collect everybody. Nobody is excluded, um, and we'll do what we have to deal with within the family. That's mm-hmm. my black. That's my black, and all black boys, black men can um, be working together and loving each other freely, like and, and whatever that means, you know. Um, and and that love is not. I'm not just talking about a physical love. You know, I'm talking about something that's very universal and we can see each, each other and I can say, you know what, Chaz, I, I, I love you. I want to I want to see you accomplish your mission. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do that freely. Rock yes. More black schools. Interesting. More um, centered around our mm-hmm. blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly um, more black male predominant schools, mm-hmm. um, I feel because um, I was just reading something recently and it said that, you know, I was watching a, um, a YouTube channel and it was saying how, you know, a lot of us black men, we tend to get, like if we're, like, we identify with the, um, as straight or whatever, or bisexual, or whatever, we tend to get distracted by mm-hmm. feminine energy. Like when it comes to like females, we tend to be like, we tend, we tend to get sidetracked sometimes. And I feel that, you know, for everybody in general, I think we need to have more um, Black-centered institutions mm-hmm. that tell us how true it is. Black-centered institutions, yeah. Um, that's that's one of my biggest things that I would love for, that, for our community to have. Mm-hmm. Gay boys, gay girls, everybody, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, within our community. I feel that that would be something really great. Yeah, mine is like kind of Black-centered spaces, mm-hmm. Black-centered institutions that mm-hmm. redefine and reimagine mm-hmm. The definitions that have oppressed us mm-hmm. so like black women being able to live in space where they can wear their hair however they want and, and it's not police and use way. their bodies however they want um sex culture strippers whatever none of that being stigmatized like if you're a body you want to do what you want to do you do it so i would say my black boy dream is like more um spaces that have less rules that police our blackness mm-hmm. um especially in the community i think we also suffer from policing each other's identities a black man is supposed to be like this black gay man is supposed to be like this if you're not saying hey girl how you doing then you can't get into the black gay bar like it's i just think we just need spaces that are just more fluid but um rooted in blackness that's what i'm yeah that's what i'm fluidity but rooted in black always all black everything yeah all black everything but fluid you want to go to the store where you, you like, don't shop at the same store as me? That's okay, girl. My favorite clip is that Issa Rae when they when the lady asked that the awards who you rooting for, she was like, "I'm rooting for everybody black." <laughs> 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 everybody black. Shout out to Issa Rae, love her. Yeah, 
what she's doing is like you know very powerful work because she is diversifying when it needs to be a black woman with the awkward black girl like it's giving black black girl geeks black geeks who who feel like they don't fit in with like the black girl aesthetic that is mainstream to be who they want you know the cardi b's the gamers like all these women of color that don't fit in with like the what has been mainstream as like this is how black women act right that i think that's like um a new a new rise like city girls shout out to them even though they say some ratchet shit and i'm mad at their homophobia i still appreciate their hustle and the fact that they're making space for the hood girls the hood girls to make money because just because you from the hood and you use hood vernacular you don't know how to code switch that don't mean i want to stop your bag right right everybody black right everybody black i want city that means everybody city girls is getting millions out here and i'm happy for them and I'm not out here to say, oh, because they're from the hood, that means that they should not be famous. Mm-hmm. No. But I think that, if anything, they inspire girls that are living in those conditions to see, like, oh, I could do this shit, too. Right. Exactly. Everybody black. Fluidity. Representation. Representation matters. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to go? Black boy dreams. No dreams. Everybody, everybody went. Camille, since it is your retreat, I would love for you to kind of close this out. Tell us a little bit about why we're here, what we're doing, how you founded this space. Well, this space is this bedroom that we're in <laughs> in Atlanta. Well, um, this space was created um, with the intention to hold space for black men of all expressions, you know, um, and for us to just get together, you know, and to have meaningful conversations, to have meaningful experiences and meaningful connections. <clears throat> So that we can be empowered, you know, because I noticed that the women, um, they ha- there's an abundance of this kind of thing, but it's not only is it rare amongst the men, but amongst the when you try to find stuff like this online for black men in particular, mm-hmm. forget about it. You know, the white guys, they have their stuff. They have, you know, they have stuff, but we don't, this is not normal for, um, for, for our people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we, um, taking that initiative to generate that energy around, holding space for our brothers to come and be their genuine authentic self is really important to me um, and to feel comfortable because I feel like everybody is a gift to each other everybody has medicine for each other mm-hmm. so if you if Chaz could show up as his authentic self and nobody's like tripping mm-hmm. then Chaz could really deliver to us what he came here to fucking deliver to mm-hmm. us you know what I mean um, and so in that way we're not cheating ourselves mm-hmm. you know we're getting the fullness of each other mm-hmm. so that's really what this is, you know, the men's retreat, the divine masculine retreat, because um, also the the, um, the purpose of this is to um, com- combat toxic masculinity, mm. you know, so we want to promote um, healthy masculinity, you know, um, and that's about it. That's why we're here. So coming to you live from our four day retreat in Atlanta, um, this is Black Matter episode. What we say we're going to call the episode? Black first. Black first. Thank you, guys. Thank you. How can we um, stay in touch if anybody wants to give their handles and their names? Kameen, how can people learn more about you? KameticYogi.com. That's K-E-M-E-T-I-C-Y-O-G-I.com. Or on Instagram or on Facebook. Comedic Yogi. Okay. That's it. I love y'all for real. (laughs) Bye. Thank you, guys.